okay, this is a genre film. What does that mean? That's why I love Get Out, you know, or Parasite. What genre is that? It's not horror. It's not social criticism. It's not, you know, family drama. It's all of it. And that, to me, makes me most excited when I see artists really pushing the boundaries and and telling us a good story, but not not telling us, oh, this is now that kind of film. I'm Julie Taymor, and you're listening to My Life in the Movies. just start with your first movie memory. Yes. Okay. So it was my eighth birthday party and my mom thought it would be a great idea if she dropped off myself and about six or seven other little girls at the local movie theater to see something called The Mask. look into it. She thought, well, that sounds interesting. Let's just leave them there and let them watch this movie and be entertained. Well, she didn't know that it was a horror film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and all these little girls around me were on the floor screaming and crying. Oh, no. And, you know, as people know, I make masks and this and that. I don't think there's any connection. But frankly, my memory was of people yelling at my mother, how dare they take their daughters to this? We, you know, we took them to this film. And it was such a visceral experience. It probably really made a <laughs> on how entertainment can really manipulate your emotions. But <laughs> I, 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 I can't, don't know who did it. I don't know anything about it. I just remember the girls crying and screaming. Do you remember anything about the movie? I, I just think when people put on the mask, they transformed and, and did horror things, horrible things. I, I mean, I have other early, really early memories of other movies, but that was the one where the experience of going to the theater was so dominant in, in the experience of the movie. It wasn't really what was happening on the screen. It was what was happening on the floor in mm-hmm. between the seats, in the mm-hmm. you know, scummy seats with popcorn and goo. And from your from your recollection, was this scary for you or was it exciting? It was both. It was horrifying. I don't think I was on the floor. I think I was just, you know, just appalled at what was happening all around me. And I think there was one other little girl who was into it, who really kind of dug the movie. So I, I, I know it's a silly one to choose. But it was such a such an incredible experience for a birthday. Yeah. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe it did wear off on me in some ways, but. Well, it's certainly making you aware of the power of live movie watching, right? Oh, With... definitely. Definitely. I don't think anybody would have been screaming on the floor if it was at home. Right. Where did you grow up? I grew up outside of Boston in a suburb. How many siblings did you have and what was the kind of dynamic like at home? Well, I'm the youngest by six or seven years. I have an older brother and sister. And really, uh, a lot of my life was early life was 
playing theater, you know, going into the garage and having a dress up box of costumes and clothes and putting on shows. You know, we watch TV, but not very much when I grew up. You know, I love Lucy and all of those shows. Um, you know, I would go to the movies maybe once a week with my family. Uh, I remember the Swiss Family Robinson. I remember, you know, I remember certain movies when I was a kid. But I think like every child my age, also The Wizard of Oz would be a very, very prominent movie in my memory. We're off to see the wizard, the wonderful Wizard of Oz. We're you know, even things like Peter Pan and, and stuff like that, I would would get together with my, my friends and and then dress up and act out the movies, you know, mm. be play all the parts. And quite often my sister liked to make me the princess and I hated being the princess. I hated it, but I was the youngest and had to do what I was told. And she got to play the witch and, you know, that's just the way it was. So it was, it was, a, there was a lot of theater in my family. My mother was in politics. My father's a doctor, but there was a lot of, um, a lot of arts and, uh, appreciation for live theater and, and movie going, but I don't think it was, artistic movie going. It was entertainment. It's remarkable that you were interested in theater at such a young age. Do you remember what initially kind of got you into theater and performance really? Well, as I said, it was a, we were encouraged to see theater, go to theater and, and play just really, really play. So my brother, sister, and I would put on these plays with our next door neighbors and friends. I went to Boston Children's Theater when I was eight years old. I started uh, going downtown to Boston and acting, not just studying, but being in shows. And so I really did, I did um, children's theater that was professional. And then I did experimental theater when I started to be 14 or 15 years old in the, you know, in the early 70s, six, late 60s, 70s, and did uh, created shows from scratch, political theater, environmental theater. And I went to, um, in my background, I went to Paris. Um, I graduated high school early and went to Paris to study mime. Oh, wow. First to study with Marcel Marceau. But then oh, I realized when I got to Paris, it was Etienne de Creux that I started with. And while I was at mime school, I did find the Cinematheque. Now that changed my life. I didn't have many friends, so I constantly went to the movies by myself. And that's where I first saw Kurosawa. And Rashomon is the movie that made me want to make movies and also changed my life as far as how do you tell a story? What is point of view? And it's still to this day, I would say, is probably listed as my one of my top favorite films. It's beautifully shot in black and white, and it has stars Toshiro Mifune, who I think is one of the greatest movie stars and actors ever. Mm -hmm. And it's the story of a rich couple traveling through the woods from one place to another, you know, traveling from one town to another, and a thief uh, comes upon them and supposedly, and I say this because it's it's about point of view. So in the midst of whatever happens in this robbery, there is both rape and murder. Now, the way that Kurosawa tells the story is with four points of view. So you have a village priest in the rain. It's so visceral, the rain coming off of this abandoned uh, temple, speaking to another uh, 
a farmer and they've heard the story. And so from one point of view, you hear the story one way. Then it cuts to the point of view of the, of the young woman and her version of the story is completely different. And then you hear the version of the dead man and his story is completely different. So revisiting a story and showing the four different points of view, that's a miracle to me. I think people have lost that understanding of the power of how the story is told. You know, with handheld camera, and multiple cameras because of television and and money and all kinds of reasons, people just uh, resort, I think, too easily to just put the camera on the subject, as opposed to some of the earlier masters who knew that what a wide shot with very little editing would do, you know, and 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 then when you juxtapose that in the edit to a close up, the power of the juxtaposition of edits is the storytelling. That's what gives you an emotion. The angle when when the camera is low. I mean, these are rudimentary for any director, but you know how you can create someone to be a more powerful figure. Look at Lenny Riefenstahl. I mean, I should have put down Lenny Riefenstahl as well because her films are are astounding. And of course, Triumph of the Will was very influential to me in my first feature, Titus. Oh yeah, I could see that. Yeah, yeah. Rashomon was was a great f- introduction to the art of film making. Maybe jumping a little bit ahead to your college years, um, do you mind setting up for us your your next movie of significant influence? Uh, I went to Oberlin, as I said, in Ohio. I studied mythology and folklore was my major, not theater, but I was in the theater. I was in a company, uh, so I spent six or seven hours a day doing theater. But I also saw a lot of foreign films, and I think that was when I was introduced to Fellini. <laughs> I saw La Strada. Uh, I saw, you know, there are ones, I think um, Satyricon and all, I saw all of them. You know, some of them I may not have necessarily liked the story or was shocked by them, but his his sense of um, play and uh, theatricality and circus and high style makeup and characters in, in some of those films, they can't, some of the, his films are very, very wild and theatrical and fantastical. And then some of them, like Knights of Cabiria and La Strada, La Strada, which even though it's about a traveling circus, uh, players and performers, it still has a, has a, uh, has a realism to it. And I would say that also De Sica and uh, Visconti and, well, not Visconti as much, but the neorealists of Italy, I saw all of those in college. You know, we saw, I saw the classic art films um, or films, not just we call them art films, but they're movies. You know, they're great movies during that time in college and was incredibly taken with the power of, of acting. Giulietta Messina, I think, is one of the greatest actresses I've ever seen. And Knights of Cabiria, I would say, of all the Fellini is my favorite movie. And it's just, it's 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 really the actress that how she goes, how she goes through this tale and her life and the music, Nino Rota. And, you know, it's the combination of, of everything uh, that Fellini is able to do.
Buonasera. And how do you interpret that last image um, of her face kind of crying and smiling at the same time? It's exactly what life is. You're aware of the sorrow, but somehow you just keep going. You know, I mean, if you if you let it all, the tragedy just take you and eat you alive, that's not Fellini. It's the show goes on, the life goes on, but you're, you're not going to not cry during it, you know? Who were you as a person in college versus this earlier time um, in Paris? I was interested in mythology and folklore. I made up my own major, you know? I wanted to be an anthropologist. I went to Indonesia upon graduating college. I had a fellowship in visual theater and experimental puppet theater to Eastern Europe, Indonesia, and Japan. And I spent four years in Indonesia. I was supposed to spend a year studying in, with a company in Japan, the folk bunraku troupe called the Awaji. But I went to Indonesia first, went to Java, and then literally I started a theater company there. So all these journeys that I took, I traveled all over the world, as you see from I went to Sri Lanka when I was 14 or 15 on the experiment in international living and lived with a family. It was called Ceylon back then. And um, many stories from there. And then, of course, went to Indonesia, Japan, Eastern Europe on this fellowship that I made, you know, one year last four. And uh, and Paris when I was, you know, even younger. So this world cinema experience of travel, this is really um, my education. You're so interested in world cinema and world theater, but then also becoming a participant and a world traveler and going to these places to see the, these works. It goes well beyond just viewership, but participation and the act of travel seems to be you know, significantly impacting uh, the movies and theater works of influence. Well, definitely. And of course I shot uh, Titus in Italy. You know, there was an interesting moment um, when I was trying to decide how to do Titus Andronicus. And my first idea was actually because I, I it's a, I said it sort of in multi-period. You know, it's ancient and contemporary simultaneously, just like Shakespeare is. And I was going to originally set it in Las Vegas, I was going to have the boy live in a trailer, trailer park, and that the Roman Coliseum was, you know, all of those things in Vegas, that, that it would happen and unfold there. I also got, ironically, um, Dante Fretti to be my production designer, Fellini himself. You know, I mean, he had yeah. done many Fellini films. Incredible. And Dante said, I want you to come to Rome and I'm going to show you some locations. So I went to Rome and he showed me Mussolini's government palace, Eur, in Eur, E-U-R, and it's called the Square Coliseum. And it was the most, the whole area there was so brutalist and such an incredible, visual, shocking, powerful a location for this film that I, I got persuaded to shoot the movie in Italy. So when I shot ruins, I didn't have to make them like Gladiator was the same year. They had to use uh, visual effects to make uh, Rome look like, you know, 
bring it back yeah. to life. I didn't because I was I, obviously we didn't have the budget. But besides that, that's not the real the real reason is I wanted all the time periods at once. I had the poetic license because it was Shakespeare. So uh, it was amazing. And I worked with um, Milena Conanero, Academy Award winning costume designer. And uh, Luciano Tovoli was my DP. When I travel, like I did with Frida, Rodrigo Prieto did Frida DP, I try to work with as many local artists as possible. Uh, it's just the best way to do it. Not everybody necessarily, but if I can find them and they're brilliant as they were on Titus, I, I will. So it is, it is, yeah, the travel, I'm, I'm very fluid when I travel. I've, I've, in fact, in those days I felt more comfortable outside of America than I did inside. Yeah. How about these days? I'm beginning to feel that again. <laughs> except that I don't know where it's better, honestly, except New right. Zealand and, you know. <laughs> Wrapping up here, I was wondering if there is a last movie. Can't we talk about the Manchurian candidate? Please. <laughs> you do this, mother. You organized this disgusting three-way circus. Darling, you're a Medal of Honor winner. Incidentally, congratulations. A character, a very political uh, woman who has married... Um, kind of a dum-dum, frankly. She's <laughs> losing him uh, because he's a man. She can't run for office, so he's the one who she's going to have run for the presidency. And he's the stepfather of Lawrence Harvey, who was a, a veteran in the war. Now, the Russians have made a deal with Angela Lansbury character, and they've brainwashed Lawrence Harvey character um, into being a killing machine. Raymond Shaw is the bravest, kindest, warmest, most wonderful human being I've ever known in my life. And they they can use cards basically to you know to manipulate. It's kind of um, a hypnosis. Yes. And they're they're preparing him to to a point where they're going to use him to assassinate the opponent of Angela Lansbury's husband. Mm -hmm. uh, so that Angela Lansbury's husband gets to be president. It's it's a genius film. I mean, it's so much more complicated than what I'm saying. It's just it's a it's a very shockingly contemporary film, beautifully acted and shot, and and disturbing as all hell right now. I was so thrown each time I would see it in the beginning, and I've seen it many times. Those hallucinations of 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 what was going on in his mind in his dreams the unreality part and how that played against the real i adored that i mean there's one scene in it that i i i tried to steal from you know not very well but i tried to in the glorias uh where he, you're in a courtroom and there are many cameras television cameras and i have here a list of the names of 207 persons who are known by the Secretary of Defense as being members of the Communist Party. It's true Picasso, you know, it's an unbelievable uh, cubistic approach. And I love, I love that idea of cubism here because you're able to see one, it goes back to Rashomon. You're looking at one camera and you're seeing a frontal shot of the person who is being um, investigated. But then another camera is getting a reaction shot and another, uh, you know, somebody listening and another camera is maybe just on, an, on a close up. Now, instead of cutting between those, which is what normal films do, because the actual room, the wide shot is showing you the three or four cameras at the same time, you're seeing all points of view at once. 
that blew me away. So there you kind of get Rashomon in another way. We have the possibility to show the scene in multiple perspectives. And that's not how we live our lives. If we could put ourselves into the other person's shoes, we wouldn't have the kind of, you know, violence and hatred that we have. I mean, isn't it, you know, sort of make America, make, make America hate again. You know, if people could be their enemy for the day, then perhaps if they saw it, which I think did happen through television. I mean, I think understanding what gay and lesbian, um, uh, cross-gender, transgender, whatever lies, once you can see those in films, it's very hard to hate anymore. You know, it's very hard to not understand if someone is helping you, you know, to, to live another life. So we have power that way as artists. Thank you so much, Julie, for your time and, and, for, and for speaking with us today. It's been, really, it's been really fun. Good. Thank you very much. This series was produced by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences.